Coming up in this episode. I mean, the leaky gut issue and the autoimmune issue has been an interesting hypothesis. And we all know we're all fans of Joe Rogan. He just recently completed his one month carnivore, World Carnivore Month challenge. And he talked about losing 12 pounds, feeling really, really strong, and actually resolving some autoimmune issues. He has some sort of skin condition, right. which is an autoimmune issue. And uh, vertiligo. Uh, so I think it's like white patches uh-huh. on his skin. And okay. apparently he was claiming that that color was going back in his white patches. Wow, that's very interesting. Welcome to the HVMN podcast. What we do with our bodies today becomes the foundation of who we are tomorrow. This is Health via Modern Nutrition. Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of the HVMN podcast. I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Lat Mansour. And we just got back home from Long Beach, Los Angeles for the Metabolic Health Summit. And it was our both of our, our first time. Yeah. A uh, ton of fun. You get people from everywhere. You get clinicians, you get scientists, you get patients, um, you get educators. All come together to, to really share knowledge and talk to one another as to what is important in the metabolic health world. For those that might not have heard of the Metabolic Health Summit, it's a relatively recent conference that really brings the science of keto to the influencers, to the people. I think what's unique about this conference is that it's not just an academic research, very dry conference. It's not just some sort of trade show where there's people just shilling product all the time. It's really a nice combination of, as as you mentioned, scientists, clinicians, product companies, influencers, and patients and just keto enthusiasts. So a really interesting blend of people. So what I'd like to do for this podcast episode is to talk about some of the highlights uh, for both of us personally, yep. and maybe go into some of the best talks and explore some of the concepts explored there. For me, I think really the highlight was meeting so many of you guys out on the conference floor. I think Lat and I were just kind of joking that uh, on the day that I came in, I couldn't move five meters without meeting a new person. Almost embarrassing, very flattering that people are spending their valuable time listening to us, listening to us think about metabol- metabolism, ketosis, better human performance, better health. Um, so that really gives us energy to, and, and Zil, credit to the guy behind the camera to continue doing our best in terms of getting new guests, new content, and really share our ideas of how to live a well-lived life. Yeah, it was a very humbling experience for me as well to meeting these people really make me uh, feel like what I'm doing with HUMN has a very strong impact in people's daily lives. I think um, from from the agenda of, of the, the summit itself, I think it was organized quite well in the sense that it groups up all the talks according to the therapeutic areas. So let's say the first day they looked at um, neurological disorders, how ketogenic diet, ketone esters, or ketones in general in treating um, neurological disorder. And then they have a session on performance. They have a session on metabolic health in terms of metabolic disorders like insulin, diabetes, and all that. I think it was very well placed in that people know what to expect going in, you know, meeting these big names and their research, you know, sharing their research in in these areas and really getting the best out of it. I think I like I like that format. One of the things that I thought was 
also really fun about the conference was meeting a lot of the podcast guests in person. Sean Baker, Ben Greenfield, Amber O'Hearn. Um, these are all online friends that you I'd banter back and forth on Twitter on, 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 on our podcast. And it's just cool to shake hands, hang, hang out for a little bit in person. So if you guys have any suggestions of what conferences you guys like, maybe I'll put that onto my calendar for the upcoming year so we can all hang out in person. I'm going to have to quiz you on the talks because I'll be honest, I literally could only stop into talks for like five, 10 minute snippets because I was taking meetings and talking to people throughout the entire conference. So give a little bit of a snapshot cocoon of what happened this year at Metabolic Health Summit. Day one, I know that Dr. John Newman at the Buck Institute keynoted the first day. Yep. What were the highlights? What do you talk about? I just skimmed the titles uh, and I have a sense of his research that it probably talked a little bit about the, not just the metabolic substrate value of ketones, but the signaling effect of ketones. Yeah. Was that about right? That's right, that's right. Um, he, he talked about basics of um, ketones, you know, beta-hydroxybutyrate, how it's metabolized and how it's really important, not only as an energy substrate, but also as a signaling molecule, as you said. Um, and then he moved more sort of closely uh, into inflammation, how it's anti-inflammatory, as well as um, looking at different enantiomers of uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, so the L-BHP, uh, which is hypothesized to be more to play a bigger role in uh, signaling pathways compared to DBHP. Yeah, so let's unpack that a little bit. So DBHP is the normal form that your liver produces endogenously. So when you are eating a ketogenic diet or fasting, when your body produces ketones, DBHP comes out. So when people talk about LBHB potentially having an interesting signaling effect, like I'd, I'd, you know, unpack that or push back on that a little bit in the sense that, for example, drinking nail polish would have a crazy signaling effect. It's not necessarily meaning that it's necessarily good or bad. Right. And I think the subtlety here is with enantiomers, uh, you know, they're, again, the same exact molecular formula, but they're not mirror images of each other. Well, so the L form is not necessarily endogenous produced. So I think it's an interesting question and i think it's really just an area of research or if any benefit lbhb has over dbhb or i mean that's that's, that's his research about and and i'm i'm very curious to see what comes out of it but he did sort of stress more around ketone bodies may be sort of relevant in in signaling uh, one is histone deacetylation which is which helps you know unwind the dna around the histones so that they can be transcribed and then you know sort of cascade further on pathways right the second thing that he mentioned is the direct direct um, binding of the beta hydroxybutyrate onto the DNA itself, you know, like um, hydroxybutyrylation, and that itself has a direct effect. And whether or not you know LBHB has a stronger effect compared to DBHB in this sort of areas, that is yet you know we'll find out you know with as as more research gets yeah so gets inhibition is an interesting area because. People that might have heard of HAC inhibition probably associate with longevity genes. So uh, that's an interesting area where we know that BHB is HAC inhibitor, yeah. which again could be interesting for you know unwinding or tightening the unwinding of different uh, aspects of DNA that signal longevity proteins. For example, our listeners out there probably have heard of methylation or acetylation, which is methyl or acetyl groups attached to the DNA. Yeah. 
he talked about it as well. Right. And that's yep. kind of interesting. Now you have like a beta hydroxybutyrate attached to that same location on the DNA. And I think the question is, what does that mean? Yep. He didn't really like specifically mention like any genes or any any specific sequence that may kick off. I mean, it has been a few days now. Um, but another uh, one one very important question I had at that point, I still remember quite clearly now, is that you know he said on on a evolution evolutionary uh, basis, our DNAs are so you know long that it it needs to be packed up in order to fit in the, the whole you know um, nucleus and our cells and all that so it needs to constantly wind itself around histones and unwind in order to function well now if you provide the body with constant concentration of ketones does that mean you are constantly un un constantly unwinding it and what kind of side effect that may have on the body now that was my my question it's the same thing as as the anti-inflammatory properties of ketones. Is it a good thing to have a constant a blunting effect on inflammation if you provide your body with a constant ketone body levels? Yeah. Um, what if, you know, if you are going to get a cold or if you're going to get an infection, your body is producing inflammatory response in order to fight that infection. Yeah. Now, if you have anti-inflammatory properties of ketone bodies, if you're on a ketogenic diet or if you're fasting, is that counterproductive? It's still a very early stage um, research here and it's very uh, situational. Um, Nick, wasn't there a piece of literature that showed that BHP also increased inflama inflammatory response in like a certain case? I think it falls down to like the concentration levels and the body's reaction to ketone body at that particular stage. Yeah. Um, what other interacting pathways are in play? I think they all um, are quite important to see whether or not like ketone bodies is good um, in that sense, yeah. Any other little snippets and, and tidbits from um, Newman's talk? I really talk? like the last day, because obviously my my interest, my research interest um, was in diabetes. So the last day they focused a lot on um, diabetes and insulin, uh, insulin resistance okay. and how ketogenic diet has um, been used successfully to treat diabetic patients. And, and I'm really thrilled that actually can, can reverse diabetes or, or even reduce the amount of medication um, taken by diabetic patients. And they also mention, and this is very important message for people outside of the community, is that doctors and, and, and medical professionals need to start looking at metabolic profiles specific to people on ketogenic diet. Meaning that if you go for a blood test, that normal range, quote unquote, need to be revised for um, a person on ketogenic diet yeah. because of the different HDL, triglyceride, and LDL profiles in these people. It doesn't mean that they're unhealthy. It's just that they they may not be normal. That is based on a the standard ranges. Western diet. Exactly, referencing Yeah, the reference Western range. Diet. Exactly. I mean, if you actually understand what the reference ranges are, yep. they're just 25 to 75 percentile of yep. general population. Correct. I think it's, it's always been a funny factoid to me because the 25 to 75 percent of the average person is probably not even that healthy. Mm -hmm. So we're just referencing something that's just like an arbitrary range here. And I think that's like, you know, a lot of the discussion around 
if you're eating ketogenic diet, do you need more electrolytes? Do you need more yep. sodium? Do you need more potassium? And I think this is just starting to be unpacked. Yeah, I think it's re- revamping how we see macronutrients, micronutrients, um, daily nutrients intake and all that. And another another interesting point that they, they sort of pointed out is that LDL on its own may no longer be a, a strong um, predictor of cardiovascular disease. Yeah. In fact, um, they need to look at LDL, HDL, triglycerides, you know, the pool itself, the, the ratio, everything into consideration and as well as, you know, um, weights as well. Yeah. Um, yeah so those are very interesting points. I mean, points. I want to yeah, give credit to Dave Fullman, who I think has really been vocal yeah. about just pointing that out around you really need to see that triad of high LDL, low HDL, and high triglycerides as a much stronger predictor for cardiovascular disease risk for LDL alone if you cut out uh, the, the the cohorts that have high LDL and low triglycerides, it no longer becomes a predictor. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that I had a, a really great long conversation with uh, with uh, Sylvain, who works with um, Dave. Yeah. So we've talked about type two diabetes, chronic inflammation. Um, you know, which comes first, insulin resistance or inflammation, which causes what, and and how you should how should you look at it? You know. Should we demonize um, sugar now and and you know glorify fats or yeah. are we looking at something else? You know? Yeah. And and she quoted there are some studies on um, population that takes carbohydrates but they're not getting diabetes yeah. but as soon as they get on the Western diet, yeah. Um, somehow the quality of of carbohydrate causes diabetes. Hmm. Yeah. What does that mean? Processed, like- refined, maybe. Um. I I haven't got the details for she just mentioned like you know when uh, uh i think it was okinawa um they often have carbs they have sweet potatoes and all that but now they have very high uh prevalence of diabetes because the um, carb source has because evolved. of the western diet being introduced got it so when i just think about diet these days i think that processed foods solved the problem they solved famine right like a processed packaged food very shelf stable shelf life. You yeah. can ship it around the world. Cheaper. Cheap. It feeds you. Mm-hmm. But I think now that famine has been solved for most parts of the world, we need to solve individual health, individual happiness. And I think that's where our food system needs to be upgraded once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of just chatting with Dr. Sean Baker, uh, who was on our podcast, really one of the seminal figures in the carnivore movement. Right. He was talking to me about that... Uh, there's going to be uh, proper clinical studies. Maybe not clinical studies. I don't think they're going to be obvious. You can't randomize and control a carnivore versus a vegan diet or something. You, you got to see what you're eating. Right. Um, but they're going to, I believe, open open study, just tracking biomarkers and mm-hmm. seeing if, uh, if uh, health biomarkers improve over an intervention period, which would be a nice, I think, first piece of evidence to formally study uh, carnivore in a, more controlled setting, or at least like a measured setting. I mean, I am optimistic that we'll see good results there. I mean, I think it'll be very similar to what the folks at Verda Health, which is a company that uses a ketogenic diet to uh, try to resolve uh, diabetes. They implement a ketogenic diet and have a little bit of an app to help uh, attract the patients. They had really good results showing that they're able to reduce insulin load, reduce H, uh, hemoglobin A1C, reduce uh, fasted blood sugar. And I, I would expect to see if they're doing a similar 
open label study on carnivore diet, you'll see a very similar result. I'm pretty bullish on that. But yeah, I would be interested in autoimmune effects because um, there's this Hungarian health uh, institute that puts people on super strict carnivore diets or fasting protocols, and it resolves a lot of leaky gut issues. And I think that was like one of the things that uh, is this like weird term that (laughs) keeps getting referenced in these like health gurus talking about leaky gut, leaky gut, leaky gut. And there's things like lectins and things found in plants that maybe trigger diffusion of your gut. uh, So things leak, you know, in and out, which causes GI issues and maybe some autoimmune issues. Yep. Yep. I mean, the leaky gut issue and the autoimmune issue has been an interesting hypothesis. And we all know, we're all fans of Joe Rogan. He just recently completed his one month carnivore, world carnivore month challenge. Mm And he talked about losing 12 pounds, feeling really, really strong, and actually resolving some autoimmune issues. He has some sort of skin condition, right. which is an autoimmune issue, and uh, vertiligo. Uh, so I think it's like white patches uh-huh. on his skin. And okay. apparently he was claiming that that color was going back in his white patches. Wow, that's very interesting. So, and I think, yeah, we, when we had a conversation with Michaela Peterson and uh, Pete Jacobs, who is a uh, World Ironman champ, they really seem to have resolved their autoimmune issues with the strict elimination of a carnivore diet. So there's clearly some signal here. I want to be cautiously optimistic that, you know, let's do the proper science. Yep. But I believe these case studies, right? Like case studies can be published in formal literature. And I believe the testament of these individuals about what they are claiming. Talking about um, case study, Mary Newport presented a very interesting case study, Mm -hmm. a case study that uses MCT um, and coconut oil in uh, treating Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And and they saw an improvement in two months. Mm -hmm. I think there was a question around like, why um, use coconut oil when, if you want to be ketogenic, and we know that C8 um, is, is most ketogenic. Like, yeah. you know, would you use C8 instead of coconut oil? Um, in her sort of um, experience, she found that um, a mixture of both. So sort of one tablespoon of C8 and then one tablespoon of, of coconut oil have the best effect. Hmm. It's, maybe it's the profile of the lipids and all that. And then she further on looked at using ketone ester from Reach's group, yeah, um, which is... Our ketoneste. Our ketoneste. That's a G. So um, she saw a massive improvement, massive, massive improvement um, for Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, and, yeah. And I that, think we had Dr. Mary Newport on the program as well. So you definitely yeah. cover that yeah. story. Um, and then another very interesting talk was by Chris Palmer. Um, he's a psychiatrist and he pointed out that if you look at a cohort of um, people with psychiatric disorders, um, like bipolar, depression, anxiety, and all that, it most often than not will correlate to metabolic diseases. Like if you look at them, they will have, you know, um, tendency to develop diabetes. They have cardiovascular risks. They have hypertension and all that. And then if you look at people with cardiovascular risk or people with diabetes, they will have one, you know, or more psychological disorders. Oh, that's very interesting. So, so he's trying to link, um, you know, what's happening metabolically to what's happening in your mind, um, what's happening psychologically. 
I mean, he said, fair enough. If you have a heart attack, of course you'll be depressed. Yeah. Um, but ultimately also if you improve your metabolic health, would that improve your psychological um, well-being? Yeah. And, and it sh- he, he has been, uh, he has treated his patients with ketogenic diet and it shows vast improvement. But he also pointed out, and I was so excited about that because I had friends who have been battling with um, depression, anxiety, you know, all their lives. So I was like, I'm ready to call them and say, that, hey, you guys need to try a ketogenic diet because it has shown to work. To work. But Chris Palmer also pointed out the very important point is that if you have these psychological disorders and you want to try on a, uh, a try a ketogenic diet to try to resolve the issues, make sure you have first of all a psychiatrist or you know a, a, um, a doctor that you can consult with, and two uh, a dietitian or nutritionist who knows ketogenic diet well enough um, to put you on and monitor um, as you are on that diet because. Um, most often of the cases is that within the first month, the symptoms actually get worse because your body is trying to adapt to it. You're metabolically inflexible. Um, You're trying to burn a different substrate that you've been not using for the entire, you know, more than half of of your life. So that, those advice, I think is very, very relevant and very useful uh, for people um, and not just, riding the hype train is like right i'm going on a ketogenic diet and i'm gonna just jump off yeah um and i want to just be skeptical and push back on a couple points like i think that if you're on a shitty diet Mm -hmm. you're gonna feel you're probably gonna be depressed Mm -hmm. so even if you clean up your diet with a ketogenic diet or a vegan diet or a fruit diet and probably not a fruit diet but you know a carnivore diet you're probably just by cleaning up a standard western diet you'll probably feel better Mm mm-hmm um, and that's just getting a little bit more metabolically healthy. Yep. So I would say that some of the benefit is just cleaning up your diet. Yep. If you're just choosing a, like a paleo or Mediterranean diet, it's definitely better than like a really crappy processed yep. centered Western diet. So that's probably some of the fact. And then I think the question is, is a ketogenic diet especially beneficial for some of these neurological conditions? And I think there stands the reason that the presence of ketones could be interesting because we do know there's an anxiolytic effect and some of the you know, interesting applications of ketones themselves. So, and also the calorie calorie um, surplus as well. Some people, they don't realize, yeah. even though they are eating a lot of fat and they are decreasing the glucose, but somehow they end up eating more yeah. uh, in a day that may itself on, on its own, you know, cause yeah. diabetes or cause obesity. Yeah. So that's something to look out for. Um, yeah, I think one of the interesting sidebar conversations I had with uh, a couple clinicians, why there's an obsession with randomized controlled trials versus if you can just take a cohort of 100 people put them on an intervention they all get better isn't that signal enough that this is a valuable intervention for the population that's a very interesting question um i would say no because it depends on your inclusion criteria criteria so a lot of these kind of studies um you would pick people who are already showing sign of deterioration so meaning they're at their worst. Put them on a diet, you know, just by statistics, majority of them will get better just by statistics, like normal distribution. So in that sense, it's a good proof of concept, but you need a randomized trial to really compare one to, uh, you know, compare an intervention to a placebo to show that it's actually working. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I think we should ascribe to blinding and randomization. I think those are good experimental techniques. Yeah. Um, 
but I think like it, it just all, I feel like it avoids the signal that we're observing from uh, these n equals ones, right? Like there's so many independent n equals ones that it ends up looking like an interesting signal source. That might claim that that, that proves causation. No, I'm, 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 all I'm saying is that I, I just feel like traditional scientists who dismiss the signal from carnivore seems overly arrogant or overly premature. I mean, it's just like, do you, I don't think 10,000 people are just delusional and meat shills mm -hmm. to just like say, hey, I feel awesome on a carnivore diet. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is with science, the funny thing about science is we try to control every other thing and we leave one thing out, which yeah. is the thing that we want to measure. Yes. Um, and that's not the case with metabolism. Metabolism is the opposite where it, everything is in sync, everything is working with one another. One goes up, the other goes down, or you know, the other one go further up. It, it's so complicated that it's so hard to pinpoint. Um, so I think that it, on on its own, it's so hard to measure that we have to sort of have a standard um, way in which, in this case, would be randomized clinical trial to really um, at least be sure of one thing that everyone can agree upon. Um, because you know, if anecdotal, then you get people who are on carnivore, um, you know, claiming everything's great. You get people who are on veganism, Every everything's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, so it's it's anecdotal versus anecdotal. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. I shouldn't pick and choose. There's plenty of anecdotes from vegans saying exactly. that they feel the best ever. And 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 another thing, um, you know, like myself, like I've tried the keto diet. Yeah. Um, it felt great. Um, but I felt like I wasn't as strong as I wasn't on keto diet when I'm in the gym. Yeah. So now, uh, you know, after listening to the talks and all that, I'm going to try maybe cyclical keto diet. Yeah. Um, maybe that'll work better. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe that'll improve my body composition. Yeah. Um, but I think it's all a trial and error. It's all like learning process. You well, know, it's personalized, get, it's right? Personalized. Your genetic baseline exactly. is different. Like this is what I say on every other podcast. Mm -hmm. Your genetic baseline is different from There's mine. There's no one fit, no your, one size your, fits all. Your goal is different from mine, probably, mm -hmm. and you need to have a personalized protocol to get there. Yep. Um, and I think again, I think one of the main things I want to communicate through my pod, our podcast here, is that one should understand the strategies, the mechanisms of action, so you can actually implement it for whatever your baseline and goals are. Yep. Right. And I think that's really the meta framework. Yep. And I think that's where I think a lot of the gurus or, or the shills just go wrong, where it's like, oh, you need to eat like a freaking bar and a shake and a yep. like a ketone ester, and then you become God. And it's like no, yep. like understand why these tools exist and how to best use them. That's right. I mean, it's like, same like training in the gym, right? Some people have, you know, high intensity training. Some people have a lot of cardio. Some people have very high resistance training. You know, they go low, um, low weight, high rep or high, high weight, low rep. Yeah. You know, it depends on what your goals are and how your body reacts to it. Yeah. I had an co interesting conversation with our friend, Dr. Brianna Stubbs, um, around the diet and, in, in, you know, because I was telling her that, after all this, you know, these few days of amazing talks and, and meeting all these amazing scientists, and I truly believe that ketogenic diet has its place in, in especially in therapeutic areas, um, that is now they're showing like how positive it is. And it's almost a hundred years since ketogenic has been used for therapeutic users. But the message that is missing is that there will be cases that ketogenic diet does not solve. Yep. You know, so I, I was talking to Brianna about 
what if, you know, I'm just a normal guy who wants to go to the gym, want to build some muscle, build some strength, you know, improve body composition, not necessarily lose weight. Um, my biomarkers are, are normal. Should I be avoiding carbs? You know, that sort of conversation. She's like, well, maybe not that much avoidance yeah. of carbs. Yeah. yeah, I think the thing is, to, from my perspective is that the carb recommendation is just too high. Yeah. And I, and I think it's just like, that just needs to be moderated down to, look, if what's the average carb consumption, like 50% plus of American diet is carbs. Yeah. I think it's probably reasonable to say, hey, let's up your protein yep. and healthy fat content, bring out the carbs a little bit mm -hmm. because yep. carbs are, a, a, it's just an are, energy source. It's an energy source that's, that triggers, you know, anti long like, you know, insulin and some of these things that we don't really want for longevity. Yeah. And you need insulin for muscle building. Right, right. So you, you, need, need, a, yeah, you, need exactly. a, you just need enough. So like, I mean, I think for me practically, I basically cycle on and off between low carb and yeah. keto. And it's just yeah. like, I'm not afraid, of, I'm not allergic to carbohydrate. Especially again, I think for me, and I think for most people, honestly, you don't have autoimmune issues. You don't, you're not gonna like dive, eat a piece of broccoli or a bread. And I think people just need to realize that, yeah, it's probably okay to eat some bread, especially if you do some exercise, Yeah, right? It's just energy balance. Yeah. Um, and the talks, in the talks itself, they they quite, they demonize insulin quite a bit. They're like, you know, high insulin. And, and, and that's like, uh, you know, nowadays it's a, a bigger indicator of how bad your diabetes is versus high glucose. Because yeah. sometimes your glucose will be normal, but your, your, your insulin is already so high that you might be in a pre-diabetic state already. Yeah, and you can't um, tell. And, and I agree with that. Like chronic elevated insulin is bad. But when you need insulin, you need that insulin. You know, like when you're working out, when yeah, you, you know insulin, that's called type 1 diabetes. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. So yeah, so I think every- It's a every, balance. Every <laughs> metabolite has its place. Absolutely. We'll put, it, we'll, we'll put it that way. Yeah. I know one of my most popular guests, Professor Ben Bickman also gave a talk. Yeah. What did he talk about? So he talked about how insulin is a, a better uh, indicator of, of, you know, diabetes more than glucose, even though glucose is much easier to, to measure. Yeah, because um, glucose in hemoglobin A1C is the typical yes. standard of and care how to diagnose diabetes. That's correct. And, and his and contention, which I'm hearing from you, is that um, insulin, hyperinsulinemia. Uh, hyperinsulinemia. Yeah. Because sometimes um, even... If your glucose is normal, your insulin may be very high, yeah. and chronic elevated amount of um, insulin may be a very strong indicator of you being um, pre-diabetic or going into diabetic or increased risk of diabetes. Diabetes is not just a glucose disease. It is a metabolic disease that has uh, implications on different metabolites um, hormonal response such as insulin, metabolites such as lipids, um, all those actually play a role in telling the whole story. If you if 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 the hyperinsulinemia is the proper root cause of diabetes, then it asks an interesting question: What is the typical treatment of diabetes? It's inject more insulin. Correct. That, so that, is, that is why during those talks, it's very interesting. So therefore, that that contention is essentially we are treating diabetes wrong. You're giving an alcoholic more alcohol. You're giving an insulinemiac more insulin. Mm -hmm. It might correct uh, the problem acutely, but you're making it worse, right? You give an alcoholic a little bit more alcohol. It solves the problem acutely, but you're really killing the patient. And mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's essentially the contention with the, the broader ketogenic diet movement, right? Yep. Um, and, and, and how we can change medical practice, especially with metabolic syndrome with diet as opposed to uh, insulin. You know, I've been to a lot of conferences, primarily based around Silicon Valley and tech, but I really appreciate this one because this is literally just a, such a dense way to meet all the different influencers, the guests that come on podcasts, both professors and and and, 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 and social media personalities and, and YouTube stars. It was very interesting to talk to, you know, different people who has either experienced it or, or treat the people who have experienced ketogenic diet and how that impacted their lives and how what we're doing here in HVMN and, and really propagating the, the science behind it, the evidence around yeah. it, um, and to see that, you know, come into fruition. That, that to me is quite personally gratifying. Yeah. Well, I expect you to give a talk next year. <laughs> Organizers, <try>. Victoria, Dom. <laughs> We're officially nominating Dr. Lat Mansour to give a talk. So hopefully you enjoyed this conversation and the recap of Metabolic Health Summit. Uh, as always, we appreciate your comments, feedbacks. Give us a thumbs up, click the subscribe button, hit the bell. Uh, is there any other shout outs I need to give to grow our podcast? Um, we really do appreciate any in, in each of those uh, favors. Write us at podcast at hvmen.com. I'm getting a lot of PR pitches for people to come on, literally getting spammed on that. Please, this, I don't know if I want to say this, but we're very much welcoming that spam because I just want to get the best quality people on this program. Uh, so the more people that are coming in, the more time and that Lat, Zul, and I can select really what I think is the best people to share their knowledge, share their expertise to, to, to our community here. So we'll leave it at that. Yep. Uh, thanks so much and see you guys next time. Thank you. If you're interested to learn more about HVMN, visit www.hvmn.com pod. Thank you for tuning in.